0: This is the InFocus Podcast from The Hindu. Welcome to The Hindu's InFocus Podcast. I'm Zubeda Hamid, your host for today. This November marks 10 years of the Protection of Children from Sexual Offences Act 2012 or the POCSO Act as it is commonly known. POCSO has been in the news recently. Two High Courts in India, the Karnataka High Court and the Delhi High Court, have dealt with cases of teenagers who are under the age of 18 in consensual sexual relationships. The Karnataka High Court said that the Law Commission of India may have to rethink the age criteria in law for consensual sex to address the issue of mutual love affairs amongst minor girls and boys who are aged above 16 but below 18. The POXO Act defines a child as any person under the age of 18 who therefore cannot consent. This is not the first time the debate about age of consent has come up. In fact, the POXO bill, when it was originally introduced, had a clause that recognized the consent of minors between the ages of 16 and 18. But this was then removed after the bill went through a parliamentary standing committee. Studies have shown that a number of cases filed across the country under the POXO law are brought in by parents against boys who have eloped with their daughters, leading to many ramifications for the teenage couples. From girls having to be put into government homes, to boys being held in custody, to families having to go through the entire process of a case and a trial, which can take months or sometimes even years. But while there are calls to take into consideration the consent of older teenagers, there are also concerns. How can young people be safeguarded from exploitative or unsafe relationships? Will lowering the age of consent be used to justify cases of child marriage or trafficking? How can evolving consent in adolescence be assessed appropriately? Does an act as broad as Foxo, need a refocused look? To speak with us about this and more, we have with us today Shraddha Chaudhary, a lecturer at the Jindal Global Law School, OP Jindal Global University, and a PhD student at the Faculty of Law, University of Cambridge. Good evening, Shraddha, and welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast. Hello, good evening. Very nice to be here. Shrata, just this month, two courts in India have dealt with cases of teenagers who are in consensual sexual relationships but are under the age of 18 and so have become entangled with the POCSO Act. Both these courts have indicated that criminalizing consensual relationships was not really the aim of the Act. And this has raised the debate about possibly lowering the age of consent from 18 to 16.
1: Could you give us an overview about this? Yeah, sure. Um, So you're right. There have been two judgments very recently where the court has said that criminalizing these de facto consensual relationships between people who are under the age of 18 um, is problematic. Uh, one of the judgments is a bail application, whereas the other is an appeal from a conviction, uh, from an acquittal. So what is common to both of these is that in both of them, the judges heard the victim who claimed that she had voluntarily and consensually eloped with the accused and in both cases even married him. So what we see basically in both these judgments then is that the legal fiction created by the POXO Act was called into question. So the POXO Act says basically that all persons below the age of 18 are children and the consent of a child, so defined, is irrelevant in matters of sexual interaction. And the Act doesn't consider any other factor, like, you know, the age difference between the parties or the actual capacity of the person under the age of 18. And that's why it's a legal fiction. The law isn't actually concerned with the truth of the matter. And so a lot of questions that would normally be asked in such a case are not asked. Now, the issue of age of consent has been contentious for a really long time in the legal sphere. And you're right, every time a case like this comes up. A judgment like this comes up. The debate is rekindled, even in the child rights circles in India. We we've been debating whether we should reduce the age from 18 to something else for several years now. But if the premise of this debate is that the intention of the POCSO was not to criminalise consensual relationships uh, with minors, then I must point out that this is not an accurate foundation. I've written previously about this um, once in an editorial for the Hindu itself and once in a blog post. Um, If you look at the material that is actually available to us in terms of the text of the law, which clearly makes no room at all for a minor's consent, as well as the intentions of the lawmakers of the time, which we can glean from the legislative material that is available. For instance, there is a parliamentary committee report that is accessible. Then the evidence doesn't suggest at all that there was no such intention. So we can say that the Poxo over criminalizes sexual behavior with and concerning minors, and we would be right to criticize this over criminalization and its effects. But, but to say that, you know, this was not the intention of the Poxo, there's little evidence to support that claim.
0: So what happened, Shraddha? We know that when the bill was originally introduced, it did have a clause that recognized the consent of minors between the age of 16 and 18, taking into the fact that teenage sexuality is a phenomenon. But this was then removed. Why did this happen?
1: Yeah, you're very right. We get some answers on this if we look at the parliamentary committee report that I just mentioned. The committee considered the POCSO Bill of 2011, which had this clause that um, allowed sexual interactions for children between the ages of 16 and 18. Um, So if you look at paragraphs 5.1 to 5.4 of the report, and then 6.8 and 6.9, you see that this suggestion of the ministry was rejected. And there were two main reasons for this. The first was that the committee explicitly stated that the consent of a person under 18 should be irrelevant. And this was because they felt that Children could be sexually abused by their peers as well as relatively older children, and not just by adults. So the focus of the committee was very much on recognizing this factor, this vulnerability, and protecting children from such abuse. It was not on recognizing adolescent sexuality in any way. Even though, as you rightly said, the ministry stated sexual awareness and increasing activity by adolescents... Uh, as a reason to set the age at 16. This was actively, you know, rejected. The second reason that we can get from the report is that the committee considered it imprudent to leave room for the consent of a minor because they felt that this would shift the focus of the trial from the behavior of the accused to the behavior of the victim. And this isn't ill-founded or anything. This is something we've seen uh, from the experiences of adult women And in some cases, the experiences of minors as well during rape trials. So, you know, this is why I had said in response to your previous question that it's not at all clear that the intention of the POXO, from what we can tell, was in fact not to criminalize these consensual cases. Because the suggestion to recognize peer relationships was actively shut down. And the focus was on protecting these children from abuse by their peers. So you can see that this is where the parliamentary committee was coming from of course it's still possible for the parliament to reassess the law now we don't need to anchor the change in what the intention was at the time society has evolved since then and laws can change to keep pace with it and in this case i think it probably does need to studies have
0: shown us that a number of FOXO cases filed in courts across the country are of these cases young couples below the age of 18, eloping, or in many times just in a consensual sexual relationship. And in many cases, as you told us in these particular cases that we mentioned earlier, that the uh, girl has said in court that she was in a consenting relationship. But the case that gets filed is kidnapping and act against the boy, even if the relationship is consensual, and the boy is seen as the perpetrator and the girl is seen as the victim. So why, why is this happening? Why this bias towards the boy as the perpetrator and the girl as the victim and can you tell us the ramifications what happens to these young boys and girls caught up in the criminal judiciary system?
1: right, you know usually what we see happening in these cases from the studies that have been conducted or from Our observations as researchers in this field is that once the investigation begins, the couple is found out. And then, as you rightly said, usually the boy is arrested. Now, frequently, this may be because he is older in age. But I think the other reason which we have to and should acknowledge is that we have a very sexist view of these things. We see the man or the boy as the, you know, active party or the party who would have perpetrated the actions or would have you know taken the initiative. But when you look at the cases, especially the, del- the one that the Delhi High Court judgment was dealing with, you see that the girl says that she in fact went to the boy and asked him to marry her and they eloped together after that. So the, the position on the ground doesn't support these attitudes, but they are very persistent. And that's why we see that boys or if they're adults, men tend to be um, charged with the crime and not the girl. But like you rightly said, uh, the the consequences are faced by both of the parties, sometimes even by the families. We see two things very commonly observed during these cases. First is that a large number of these cases end in acquittal, either because all the witnesses, including the victim, so-called, turn hostile. And we saw this in the Karnataka High Court judgment as well. In other cases, the minority of the victim is not proved, meaning that it cannot be proved that she is in fact under the age of 18. This could be because her you know, birth records or other proof of age is not available and because medical tests are not absolutely accurate. So there's always some room for interpretation. When this happens, she is legally treated like an adult and her consent becomes relevant again. In those cases, when she says, yes, I eloped with him content- consensually, That can bring an end to the matter. But just because many cases end in acquittal doesn't mean there's no injustice that's happening in these cases or that we should take them lightly. First of all, we need to keep in mind that there might still be de facto consensual cases which end in conviction. In fact, if the letter of the law is followed, this is bound to happen, I believe, because the child's consent is deemed irrelevant. So technically, all these cases should end in conviction, which would then mean that people who did not in fact, in fact commit a wrong might be criminally punished, which is, which is quite unjust. Secondly, even if these cases end in acquittal, the disposal time can be anything from six months to two years. So the Center for Child and the Law, National Law School, Bangalore, did five statewide studies that showed that acquittal cases took less time than conviction cases. But even then, they were not necessarily of short duration and this finding has been confirmed on a larger scale by a more recent study by vidhi so this means that during throughout this style period both the boy and the girl in these cases are potentially deprived of their liberty because sometimes the girls are kept in shelter homes and in that sense separated from their family from the from her boyfriend or husband as the case may be and the boy may be in kept in juvenile facilities or in custody depending on his age so it's not difficult to see that this disrupts their lives, possibly their education, their earning potential. It can cause serious reputational damage. And the disruption can be longer still if there is an appeal from acquittal, which is what, as I previously said, happened in the Karnataka High Court judgment. And finally, you know, the criminal justice system itself, which is so overburdened, is further bogged down by these cases. So, Things become even slower, pendency rates would increase. These are all some of the more visible consequences. Of course, there are, there are others. I am one of the many who are working in this area and who have observed that because of the way it functions, because it leaves no wiggle room, Poxo is another one of those laws which can be used by people who want to control young people's sexual, marital and reproductive choices. Um, studies have been done by this center called the Partners in Law and Development in Delhi. And they have found that this is actually the case for both POCSO and child marriage laws. So, yeah, these are some of the really terrible consequences that we see coming through.
0: You spoke about something interesting earlier, Shraddha. You said that sometimes uh, there is uh, a question about the, whether the girl is a minor or not. In India, where, uh, you know, we have thousands of young people in villages, uh, where possibly the birth records might not be fully accurate, is there a chance that these young people might be older than 18 possibly, even though they are supposed to be younger than 18 as per the law?
1: Yeah, definitely. That's a possibility. Um, In the absence of these records, it's very difficult to say what the actual age of the person might be in fact even when there are records sometimes it's not always clear that those records are entirely accurate it's fairly common to you know register births late which may not be intentional it may just be that the facilities are not accessible or several reasons and then this is i think exacerbated by people not necessarily always going to school, which could potentially have provided a second indication or a second set of records to verify age. So all of these reasons would suggest, as you said, that it's very likely that in some of these cases, the person is actually older than 18. And we see that that's sometimes argued in the courts. And then, you know, the courts have to take a call based on the evidence that's available.
0: So, would you say, Shraddha, that there is a argument to lower the age of consent, considering that it's now been 10 years since FOSCO and over and over again we see judges as well as courts saying that this is a problematic situation?
1: Yes, there is There is certainly a, an argument to lower the age of consent. If you look at the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, which is even mentioned in the Bosco that defines a child as being a person uh, who is under the age of 18. And I think that's something that also motivated pegging the age of consent at 18 in India, because India is a signatory to that convention. But that convention itself also talks about uh, the evolving capacity of adolescence, which includes, because of physical, mental, emotional changes, it also includes uh evolving sexual capacity so it is arguable definitely that older adolescents especially would be capable of giving consent to sexual interactions but in lowering age of consent there are several things that i think that we would need to be mindful of we would perhaps need to take take a particular view of what kinds of sexual interactions we allow or with whom the sexual interactions are allowed more importantly, perhaps we would need to be mindful of which sexual act interactions might be harmful or dangerous for um, younger people more than adults and, and so try to protect them more from those kinds of interactions.
0: So there is, of course, that grooming where vulnerable young people could be lured by older adults into exploitative relationships. How, how do you safeguard against this and how do other countries tackle this age of consent issue?
1: That's a very good question. You know, concepts like grooming and exploitation are quite complex. I'm currently doing my entire PhD research on the concept of exploitation. Uh, Unfortunately, though, there's no straightforward answer to this. There are, as I said, in my previous answer, certain things that we would need to keep in mind when considering whether or not to lower age of consent. And sometimes the laws of other countries may help us uh, in in considering how to go about it so as i said earlier i think we may we may consider cases of sexual interaction between two minors or two people who are both under the age of 18 quite differently from an interaction between one minor and one adult and in considering this, the age of both of the parties, the minor, the adult, or two minors as the case may be, as well as the age difference between them might become hugely relevant. So if you look at the law in South Africa, they have close in age exemptions for different kinds of sexual activity. So, you know, otherwise the age of consent is 16 or 17. But Children from the age of 12 to the age of 16 can engage in different kinds of sexual activity depending on the age difference between them and their partner. Another thing we might be, we might be cautious of or might want to consider is the specific relationship between the parties. So, for instance, if, especially if one of them is an adult and the adult is in a position of power over the child, like if they're a teacher at the school or they're some sort of authority figure in the village, if they're a landlord, you know, something of that sort, then we may be more concerned about exploitation in these cases. Uh, Similarly, if the person were in a position of trust, like a carer, then we might have greater concerns. And the law in England and Wales considers abuse of position of trust as a defining feature in sexual offences against children. We might also want to consider that different children may have different kinds of vulnerabilities. Some may be more vulnerable than others. And how do we account for that diversity so that, you know, we can properly protect those who need it more? And most importantly, in my opinion, I think we need to have more widespread and better sex education. Because without that, lowering the age of consent doesn't make sense. Because young people simply are not empowered to make choices with the right kind of information. And by this, you know, I don't mean a chapter on reproduction in school. I mean systematic sex education starting from a young age so that children are better equipped. Otherwise, you know, their sexual autonomy becomes quite meaningless. Uh, Just one thing before I wrap up this answer would be when talking about something like grooming or making comparisons with other countries we need to be really careful grooming is an extremely difficult concept to define even outside the law but even more difficult to actually put it into a law because if you consider what activities amount to grooming Many a time they might look very similar to normal courtship activities. You know, buying presents, giving compliments, planning to meet, having phone calls, giving compliments, all of those things. Now, if the minor is very young or the adult is in a relationship of authority, these might be red flags which help us recognize grooming better. But otherwise, it's very difficult to distinguish between these acts. So one should be extremely cautious in attempting to criminalize something like grooming per se and Similarly, when we look at comparisons with other countries, they are useful, but we need to keep in mind that our social context may be very different from those countries. Like you yourself said, a lot of times in villages, people may not have uh, birth records. Then we we may see around us that the attitudes towards sex may be very different in our country compared to other countries. So these are all things that would affect the needs and behavior of our adolescents. And so, we would need to take that into account in any law reform suggestion.
0: You said earlier, Shraddha, that under the POCSO, the consent of the minor is irrelevant. Naturally, they're considered a child, so there is no consent that can be given at that point. But should that be up for change in in terms of how the courts at least are asking the victims, whether older victims, whether uh, whether they consented or not?
1: Yes, it is one way of reducing the age of consent because essentially, You would say that somebody, for example, between the ages of 16 and 18 may now consent to sexual activity. And in that case, then the courts would actually have to consider whether the person, from what we've seen so far, who will usually be a girl, they will have to ask her whether she actually consented or not. In the cases that we see where courts sort of take a justice oriented approach, so to speak, they do ask the victim what she did, what her intentions were, what her experience was, whether she actually consented. In the Delhi High Court judgment, you see that the judge had a conversation with the victim in chambers with the prosecutor to actually gauge what her position was. That's potentially a good way of doing it. So, I think it's possible to um, have a way of the courts assessing the consent of victims in a way that is sensitive and takes account of their needs as young people. Because simply lowering the consent without any of these safeguards or certain guidelines in place would definitely create scope for instances of, let's say, child marriage or trafficking to be defended using consent, right? Because the accused person could always say, no, this isn't a case of trafficking. It is actually a case of elopement. But that doesn't in itself mean that you can't lower the age of consent or that judges are not capable of deciphering between such a case and an actual case of elopement. This is all. We see that judges do this all the time and they may do it well. Sometimes they may not do it well, but it's possible to develop, you know, best practices or guidelines which can help judges um, distinguish between such cases.
0: But that still means uh, getting minors involved in the criminal judicial system.
1: Yes, absolutely. If you have consent assessment, it is still possible. It's not going to prevent fully these cases coming into the system in the first place. It all depends on the manner in which you know, the law is being used. And I'm not sure if there is a way to ensure that no such case comes into the criminal justice system. We can have, you know, a lower age of consent might reduce the number of cases that are filed in the first place, Uh, at least because we see that a lot of the people who do elope uh, tend to be between 15 and 18 years of age. So to some extent, lowering the age of consent will mean that a lot of those cases will no longer be criminal offenses and in that sense would not need to be uh, investigated just by virtue of the relationship existing. But still, If somebody alleges that the sexual interaction was in fact non-consensual, then many of the same issues might arise.
0: Interestingly, Shraddha, a Madras High Court judge had said uh, outside of court, he was speaking somewhere else that the police should perhaps use some discretion in, in going after these cases in the first place. Would you think that that could be an option or is that not valid since obviously once a case is filed, the police have to follow up on it?
1: Well, the, if you look at the criminal procedure code, then the police have fairly limited discretion in investigating a cognizable case. Uh, and this, these would be cognizable cases. So the police, I think, would need to investigate these cases. I would also have beyond procedure and what they can do, I would have additional concerns about what the consequences of giving police discretion might be. And let me explain what I mean by this. You can always change procedural laws to give police discretion. We see that there are places in the world where police have discretion. But this might not help minors in the sense that the police may exercise their discretion in a way that actually harms them. So, for instance, if there are actually cases where a rape has taken place, then the case may not be registered. Already, it's quite difficult for people to register cases. Um, The police is not always an accessible force for people. And I think that is one of the reasons why in the first place, the police are not given discretion in terms of investigating these more serious offences. So, yeah, I would be a little sceptical of giving police discretion, at the very least without a formal set of guidelines against which they can be held accountable. Yeah, if you see places like uh, the UK... Prosecutors have a lot of discretion and they have written guidelines, formal guidelines uh, in which they are meant to consider the evidence that's available, whether that evidence is enough for conviction, whether the public interest is served in prosecuting a case, you know, whether it would be in the interest of justice to prosecute that case. They need to consider all of these things before prosecuting. And if there are some overbroad laws, like the POCSO is, then in those cases, they could potentially use that guideline to say, you know, this is a consensual case. Both parties are telling me that it's consensual. No harm or wrong has been done. So, we don't need to prosecute this. It would be against the public interest. It would be wasteful and so on and so forth. So, again, we might want to consider that as a potential option in India. But Certainly not without written guidelines and not without a lot of capacity building and sensitization for both the police and the prosecution, you know, basically not in a vacuum.
0: Right. Um, Shraddha, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier about how you felt that such laws were now such laws, this particular law uh, was being used by parents uh, in order to control the sexual and reproductive choices of uh, young women in their households. Uh, the so-called misuse of the POCSO Act could also be seen to have similarities with the misuse of the Dowry Prohibition Act. So does this, like the Dowry Prohibition Act does, point to a larger societal issue of what is going on in our households? Why are young couples eloping unhappy homes, parental disapproval of their relationships, etc.?
1: I wouldn't compare the use or misuse of the Dowry Prohibition Act with the way that the POXO is used because I think the narratives of misuse can be very different. Um, but I will answer your question on you know, how we can understand this misuse or the reasons why we see it being used in certain ways that we might not think are ideal or, or the right way to use the law. Unhappy homes, certainly, if you look at some studies, some qualitative studies which have interacted with girls who ran away with their boyfriends, uh, then you see that some of the reasons could be, you know, a certain amount of lack in the home privations which they want to escape through marriage, through a different, through, you know, entering a different life, a different world. How good a choice that is, it cannot be said. That would depend, you know, on the particular case. But sometimes we see that girls escape because they are being threatened with marriage with somebody else or because they are their freedoms are being restricted and so on. So this is a bid for them really to escape those conditions. But the way that the law is misused is usually we see, as I said previously, parents. Usually the girl's parents file a case to find and recover the couple that has eloped, their daughter especially, perhaps punish them in some way or perhaps, you know, encourage them or even force them to then get married. It is also possible to say that in some cases, it might even be the girl herself and the parents who file this case to sort of create some amount of pressure so that the boy uh, ends up marrying the girl and in that sense gives social sanction to their sexual relationship. But I would You know, strongly advise caution against framing these issues in the language of misuse because I've seen that that very often just becomes a red herring and it discourages more nuanced discussion. Let me explain how. The reason that the law is used in these ways, which we would call misuse, is of course, first of all, because the law itself is overbroad it allows this misuse. In fact, if you look at the mandatory reporting requirement of the law, it, it obligates people who know of sexual activity taking place between two minors or a minor and adult, as the case may be, to actually go and report it. It's a crime if they don't report it. So the law encourages maximal reporting. But more importantly, a lot of these cases are reported because our society places a premium on the girl's honor, which reflects also on the family and community honor. And this honor is linked to her chastity, her virginity, her purity. And this is then part of the reason why even now, sex and marriage are so intrinsically linked in our society, right? You cannot think of one without thinking of the other. So instead of using the individualistic language of misuse, we should think like it would be more beneficial to see this as a broader social structural issue. And of course, like any other law, Boxo may be misused. But what it needs is a refocus, which, which is what we've been talking about so far, how, how we can go about refocusing it so that the might of the law is against coercion and exploitation. But at the same time, we should be cautious in casting these so-called consensual cases as false or as instances of misuse. Certainly, sometimes they might be, but they are not always. Even when a relationship persists, we know that both coercion and exploitation are possible within that relationship. In fact, data from Western countries suggest that most sexual violence for teenage girls actually takes place within their relationships with their boyfriends and so on. So, certainly we should also not romanticize teen relationships.
0: Absolutely. that uh, You've pointed to something very valid. Intimate partner violence is the largest form of uh domestic violence, there scenes. So So, like you said, a refocus of the law is called for, but obviously with safeguards in order to continue to protect those who are vulnerable. So, to, to sum up, you would say that there is a case for lowering the age of consent, especially among older adolescents?
1: But we need to be careful about how we go about it. And there are a lot of things that we should keep in mind. We should definitely try to find a reform that That achieves the right balance, you know, it should do more good than it does harm. Because no matter what reform you do, there will be some drawbacks of it. Like we discussed, lowering the age of consent might mean that minors have to go through the criminal justice system and they have to go through consent assessment, which may not be very pleasant for them. So we need to make sure that 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 is done in a way that we minimize the harm of something like that we should consider the many issues that we've discussed here today, surely. And there are several more that, that we may not have talked about. Absolutely.
0: Last, Shraddha, just wrapping up, sorry, if I could just go back to something you said earlier about child marriage and trafficking. Quickly, could you just tell us whether uh, whether lowering the age of consent could have an impact on these issues?
1: Um, As I said earlier, it's possible that if you lower the age of consent without providing sufficient safeguards, you might be creating a scope for people to defend these offenses by using the consent of the child to try to cast a case of child marriage which is forced or or trafficking uh, as, in fact, a case of elopement. But, of course, it's possible to have safeguards against something like that. But another thing to consider when, when talking about child marriage and its links to POXO is, as I spoke about earlier, given how closely linked sex and marriage are in India, in terms of our social norms, we need to consider how we would justify lowering the age of consent without possibly also being required to lower the age of marriage. Of course, we can say that the two are very different because they require different capacities. And I personally agree with that proposition. But it's worth thinking that whether that's something that resonates with most people in our country. And if you look at these elopement cases as well, most of them end in marriage, right? Either before they've even come to court or sometimes while the case is ongoing. And I think that says something about what kind of sexual activity our society is willing to tolerate or accept. So in certain cases, if you say that the girl is allowed to elope and have a sexual relationship with her boyfriend, but at the same time, she's not allowed to marry him because the law prohibits that, then you may actually be placing her in a predicament where she would have no social approval or support, just because, you know, the way that our society is and the way that we still think about these things. So we would definitely need to consider some of these impacts that lowering the age of consent might have and how we would like to navigate that.
0: Right. Thank you so much, Shraddha. This has been a really interesting talk.